Hello and welcome to the MPM Interconnections podcast. I'm Andrew Burns, your host for this week's episode, and I'm joined today by two great guests to discuss the advent of offshore wind in Louisiana state waters and some of the challenges that are going to have to be overcome to make that a reality. Um, first, we have the great Jenny Netherton, Senior Program Manager at Southeastern Wind Coalition, and it's always great to speak with you, Jenny. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thank you. And I'm also joined today by Helen Rose Patterson, Senior Campaign Manager for Offshore Wind at the National Wildlife Federation. Uh, Helen Rose, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it is an honor to speak to both of you. Now, um, NPM readers and listeners are probably already familiar with with Jenny and the Southeastern Wind Coalition. We've spoken on a, on a couple of occasions so far, but uh, this may be their first time hearing from Helen and the uh, National Wildlife Federation. So um, Helen Rose's position deals specifically with with offshore wind. So uh, Helen Rose, do you, you want to tell us a little bit about the work you do and, and how it relates to offshore wind development? Yeah, absolutely. So National Wildlife Federation's Offshore Wind Energy Program is about a decade old, um, and it really came out of um, needing to move forward action on climate renewables um, coming out of the failure of the Waxman-Markey Bill. And um, starting in the Northeast, offshore wind really just jumped off the map as a really great opportunity for an organization focused on wildlife to work on shaping renewable energy um, policy and development. And so we really focus on ensuring the responsible development of offshore wind. Um, and we have a pretty high bar for what that looks like. But roughly the idea is that as we build these new energy systems, we need to make sure that we're building them in ways that are more responsible to people and to wildlife um, than our previous energy systems have been. And so my work really centers on working on that state level policy, um, engaging with partners and coalitions and advocating um, for the all of the building blocks to be in place to ensure that we can build responsible offshore wind energy and a time frame that meets the urgency of the climate crisis. Cool. Well, thank you very much for that for that introduction. And I think um, one thing that I'm really curious to to kind of get both of your thoughts on here, and and to really sort of pare down for 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 people that are that are listening to this and are, and are curious, is the difference between siting and and getting environmental assessments and that sort of thing on for state waters versus federal waters. Because based on what I have covered um you know I've, I've spent some time uh covering the east coast really really i'm doing mostly the the midwest and the gulf now and we have somebody that actually lives on the east coast that's that's covering the east coast now but i did a lot of uh kind of early offshore wind coverage on the east coast kind of toward the beginning of this decade and um based on everything i understand there it almost everything if not everything is really cited in federal waters right so um, state water is obviously a lot closer to the land um, I know that on the East Coast, a lot of the concerns are about viewsheds and things of that nature from from locals. Not really so much because they're probably in the Gulf. Uh, we're we're you know we're not too worried about that. But uh, what is obviously a concern is is the the difference in environmental assessments and siting. So why don't we start with you, Helen Rose, and then Jenny? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about um, you know in terms of of siting what and, and sort of the state policies what we can expect to to be different. But uh, tell us about the the difference in environmental assessments for. Uh, you know, state versus federal waters? Yeah, it's such a good question. So I like to frame this overall as nearshore offshore wind development is pretty rare globally. Um, and that's for a variety of different reasons. So um, there are a couple of states that have pursued this development in state waters thing. California looked at it, didn't really take it very far. New Jersey really 
tried to figure out how to site offshore wind in state waters and ultimately um, weren't able to do it mostly because of wildlife concerns. Uh, and now Louisiana is coming to the table. Um, so here in the U.S., the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, of course, is responsible for leasing on the Outer Continental Shelf, which is when we say federal waters, that's what we mean. Um, and that process really starts um, by pulling in all of the different information that can influence the siting of an offshore wind project. So that includes like the economic and financial impacts, where things can get interconnected, where the fisheries are, um, where wildlife is, where the developers want it to be. There's just a ton of information that goes into that process. And we've seen BOEM um, formalize that recently in the form of marine spatial planning to identify possible wind energy areas. So they first did it in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, They've now done that in uh, Gulf of Maine and Oregon as well um, to really say like, okay, if we, if we consider all these factors and lay them all on a map over each other, what are the areas left that make the most sense for placing offshore wind? Um, and that's a really beneficial way to do it because one of the advantages of offshore wind for wildlife um, is just that you can avoid a lot of the impacts through smart siting. Um, so you can site it away from whale migratory corridors or site it away from where there are a lot of birds moving through the area. That's not, you can't avoid all the impacts, but you can get a good bit of them off the table, which then allows you to get more nuanced um, on further wildlife avoidance and mitigation measures moving forward. The way we're seeing Louisiana approach the state waters development process is really a developer-led process. So right now there are two pathways the developer could take. They can either go for an operating agreement that they negotiate directly um, with the state mineral and energy board. Um, and that really is the developer saying, hey, I wanna put a wind project here and then negotiating that with the state. The coastal use permits, all the environmental evaluation comes after they have been granted the lease for that site. The state also has draft rules for leasing in state waters, which as they were proposed, they're still in draft form, would also have started with a developer nominating a site. Um, and so that really loses us the advantage of, of that siting opportunity to avoid some of the more serious wildlife impacts. I'll note one more thing, which is that the Block Island Wind Farm, which is one of our, you know, tiny little wind farms we yep. have so far in the U.S., five of the seven turbines that we've got, um, is technically in state waters, okay. but it's like 17 miles offshore because it's at Block Island. Um, and the state used um, a special area management plan process to identify where to put that site and to, you know, really suss out all of the different community environmental issues that needed to be addressed before building a project. Um, and so that's an example of a state coming up with a plan to, to really front load some of the environmental assessment and, and make a project successful. Okay. Yeah. And if I can hop in yeah. for a second here, just to kind of dig in a little deeper on one thing Helen Rose mentioned, um, she pointed out the difference between operating agreements and the leasing process. Um, and one thing that we think about a lot as two people who are immersed very deeply in this world is um, with the leasing process, you open yourself up to competition in a way that you don't with the operating agreement process. Mm. Um, so as we're thinking about developers and as we're thinking about, you know, if you were trying to make a project economically successful, how would you approach that? Um, I think it's pretty easy to see that that operating agreement mechanism is a little more accessible and provides a little more certainty to developers, which um, touching also on kind of what Helen Rose said about how BOEM does this intense deconfliction process. 
that's the type of thing that can also reduce risks for developers because they know that to a certain extent, some of these problems have already been looked at, um, which is not to say that that doesn't exist or that there won't be conflicts. But as we're thinking about, you know, approaches to permitting offshore wind, I think that is a good thing to kind of pull out a little bit. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting kind of situation because obviously with Boehm, I mean, they, they spend so much time kind of investigating these areas and you know exactly what, you know, lease area, you know, down to the acre, right? Like exactly like how big this is going to be and, you know, kind of what the capacity you can expect if you if you want to you know develop there. Whereas here in, in Louisiana, just based on my understanding, it sounds like it's just kind of a crapshoot, right? Like it's just like the Wild West out there. So, um, you know, we, we've already kind of talked about how, um, you know, almost all the activity that we have in the U.S. and really, I guess, even globally um, is has, is mostly in, in federal waters, which are which are further away. Um, and for, I guess, like, you know, to, to visualize this for state waters in Louisiana, based on my understanding, it goes, it extends out about three miles right from shore. So, um, so, you know, Jenny kind of from the, the state's perspective, uh, I think Ellen Rose kind of mentioned that, um, you know, we, the the state has kind of a draft proposed draft policies for, for how they're going to deal with this, but, um, it kind of sounds like these, there's not really a lot to, to, to look at that, that has already been done right in this area. It kind of sounds like Louisiana is kind of having to figure this out on their own in terms of these policies. Do you want to kind of talk about um, whether that's the case or if there's, or if they're able to, to look at anything, maybe what happened on, on with the Block Island wind project or, or maybe something that's gone on in, in Europe or somewhere else where there's offshore wind that, they, that they're able to pull from, or, or do you feel like they are kind of just having to develop these policies from scratch? Um, I think that's a really good question. And I have, quite a few thoughts on that. Okay. So I'll just kind of dig in. Go for it. Um, so, you know, I I think as far as the state being alone on this, you know, they are doing something that other areas are not attempting to do. So in that sense, I think the state does, you know, we're in uncharted territory here, which is exciting and can be a good thing. Um, we do, um, there are several states that have created state master plans to guide offshore wind development. Um, these have predominantly focused on federal waters, but some of the plans also encompass state waters. Um, Louisiana's Department of Natural Resources has received funding to pursue a master plan like that for Louisiana. Um, and so the, there are two kind of really key parts of that. One of those is that this master plan is contemplated to include a spatial analysis of uses on the coast. So as Helen Rose was talking about with the BOEM process, where they do all this deconfliction up front, um, the state master plan is contemplated to dig into that area and to look at things in a holistic way. Um, so in a sense, you know, it takes offshore wind takes planning is the long and short story of this. Um, you know, one of the things that I think Helen Rose and I spend a lot of time trying to communicate is that we're very familiar with land-based wind in the U.S. and we see that a lot. And offshore wind is just almost an entirely different beast as far as your supply chain goes, as far as the size goes, as far as your generation potential goes. Offshore wind is a very different ballgame from land-based wind. So I think that's one thing that kind of 
you know, maybe confuses people a little bit is that that land-based wind is so accessible. Mm. Um, so keep in mind, I think it's important for folks to keep in mind that this is a very different industry in a lot of ways that you maybe wouldn't expect. Um, one other thing that I think is useful just for as people are kind of wrapping their heads around offshore wind, um, and especially for Louisiana residents who may be more familiar with oil and gas, right. um, when you have an oil and gas lease, which is not uncommon in either federal or state waters in Louisiana, you're really only looking for one spot to locate a platform. With offshore wind, the space that you take up is an important consideration. Um, there's a, BOEM has a kind of soft target for about 100,000 acres for a federal offshore wind development. And that's the size where you really can get commercial and competitive interest in a significant way. Um, so one thing to keep in mind, too, with state versus federal development is there's just not that much space in yeah. state waters. Um, and so, you know, in the uh, proposed rules by the state, they have a cap of 25,000 acres for an offshore wind lease. So you can also just numbers wise see 25,000 acres versus 100,000 acres is a little bit of a different ballgame. Yeah. So, um, you know, as we talk about state development, I think it's a really interesting prospect. And I think Louisiana is doing the work that they need to to see if this can, you know, be done successfully. Um, it's also important to just keep in mind kind of the scale of how things are happening. Federal development is just almost always going to be a lot bigger and more yeah. significant. And for a place like Louisiana, that's really looking to take advantage of the supply chain and our history with oil and gas, that's something to keep in mind. Okay. Well, I want to I want to ask you this. Um, I, really, both of you, and and I, I think you guys can kind of take it in different directions. But Helen Rose, um, from an environmental perspective, um, is Louisiana like well suited for for offshore wind developments in state waters? Like, are there factors like in the water there, or, or you know, in the in the environment that that makes it conducive to these these types of developments, or is it just? this is just kind of being driven by the state wants to do it. And so that's why we're talking about it. It's not necessarily because it's like, you know, a great spot for offshore wind. Yeah. It's such a good question. I, my initial reaction is sort of arguably no. Okay. Um, and part of that is just that like, there's a lot of an analysis that goes into deciding whether or not a place is good for offshore wind development. And mm -hmm. Louisiana hasn't done the analysis, right? That said, I think a couple of factors that sort of are behind that arguably no. One is that until very recently, no one even thought the Gulf of Mexico was a particularly viable place for offshore wind just because the technology didn't line up well with our relatively low wind speeds. Mm. Um, and Louisiana near shore, even potentially lower wind speeds than you get further out in the Gulf. And so there's sort of a question of like, you know, can we even sort of harvest enough energy in state waters for this to be to be viable? I think the the other thing um, that I that comes up for me on this is that Louisiana is unique in some ways in that our coast is very 
Um, a lot of it is very remote. So there are parts of it that are like real working coast. You've got Port Fouchon, you've got the Port of Lake Charles, you have the Mississippi River. These are all like real working waterfronts. Yeah. Um, but a lot of other chunks of our coast are remote and they're nature preserves and they're hard to get to by for people. And so they host a lot of wildlife and unique species. And we're really proud of that in Louisiana. Um, and I think that along with the efforts that the state's made in the last decade to restore the coast, to really make these huge investments in bringing wildlife back, um, I think just doesn't necessarily make state waters bad for offshore wind development, but I think raises the stakes, right? Like we have a unique ecosystem that we've already invested a lot of resources in in, in supporting um, that we've damaged with energy development in the past. Sure. And I think we just have to think really critically about the the trade-offs and the things that we're, we're looking to do there. Um, and so it gets to that sort of issue about scale, to Jenny's point, right? There, there are specific spots on the coast that I think we think probably could be okay in terms of the wildlife impacts, but those are pretty limited areas. Mm. Um, and, and we really worry about things like pelicans, our like iconic state bird that we're all very proud of and love. Um, they fly all over the place in the coastal zone. And we really don't, there are no wind turbines anywhere that brown pelicans live in the world. Yeah. Um, and so it's really hard to know what those impacts could be at this point. And so you can probably make the case that Louisiana is in a great place for development. You could probably make the case that it's a terrible place for development. I just think there are a lot, there are a lot of answerable questions that we haven't answered quite yet. Okay. And then like, I, yeah, would... Jenny, I was going to say like, logistically, you can kind of talk about where Louisiana maybe does have some advantages in terms of its supply chain and kind of the workforce. You kind of already, you just touched on it right there at the end of your last answer, but you want to kind of talk about kind of what Louisiana has going for it in this, in this area? Sure. Well, and I would, uh, to Helen Rose's point, yeah. um, one, one good tool that Louisiana has that I think most people in our state are glad that we do have is this coastal master plan. And this has been a huge effort by the state of Louisiana um, over decades to come up with this comprehensive use guide for our coast to ensure that we are, you know, protecting what needs to be protecting and utilize utilizing what we can. Um, and so I think thinking about the state offshore wind master plan, like I mentioned, I think that, you know, these two tools can work very much in conjunction with each other. And I think, you know, with Louisiana's environmental history, you know, where I grew up here, I'm very aware of how much our state has done to bring back our coast and to really put effort into making sure that our coastline stays what it is. Um, and so I would say, you know, I don't think these two things are mutually exclusive. Um, I don't know that it's always the easiest conversation. And that's part of why Helen Rose and I are here. Um, you know, these are tough conversations and we we need to have them. We know that there will likely be wildlife impacts in state waters. How do we deal with that? How do we determine what level of risk we're OK with? How do we determine where we want to draw the line? And I think it's great that our state is really undertaking a process to help them with this decision making. And like Helen Rose said, to get the data that we know we need. Um, so I would say that's a very key thing. As far as Louisiana's, um, the supply chain opportunity and where Louisiana can go with that. Um, I One thing I think to remember, you know, Louisiana 
is pretty entwined with oil and gas and the energy sector in general. Um, and I think the idea of Louisiana being to not just be this, you know, oil and gas state, but be a real, you know, energy powerhouse in general is a very big opportunity for us. Um, as I mentioned before about how land-based and offshore wind are kind of separate things and that that applies to the supply chain, we really don't have all the facilities that we need in the U.S. to make the number of turbines and the accompanying equipment to fulfill all of the stuff that we have in the pipeline. So a big part of the next few years is going to be making sure that we are building up these industries and that we are building these facilities. And Louisiana is uniquely well suited in that regard. Sure. Um, in, in the sense that a lot of oil and gas experience in Louisiana is just attaching stuff to the floor of the ocean. I think we also have significant experience there. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter what you're putting in as long as it's going into the to the bottom of the ocean. So, right. um, and obviously it's much more complex than that, but we have a lot of experience in this area. So I think, you know, especially for some businesses in Louisiana, this is also an opportunity to diversify. Um, we're very aware of the boom and bust cycles with oil and gas. They're not going anywhere. And this is kind of another option that can help insulate our workers against that. Okay. Okay. Now, one of the things that we've kind of discussed already, at, you know, fairly at length is, is the fact that the, the, the state is developing these policies and, and, you know, they're kind of, I guess, I guess what I want to really kind of nail down here is exactly like where they are in terms of mm. the, in terms of developing these, these, these policies, like our, our, you know, like what ending are we in, I guess, at this point, like, like how close are we to like having these kind of locked in and, and developers kind of know what they're getting into, right. Um, whenever they consider whether they want to uh, develop here. I mean, you know, either one of you can, can speak to this. I think we'd all love to know the answer to this question. Okay, um, yeah. So th there are two things, and, and Jenny, I'm sure, can elaborate on this a little more than I can. One is we do know that the state fully intends to ink an operating agreement before the end of Governor Edwards' term. Okay. Um, so we will have at least one operating agreement for an offshore wind development in state waters by January. Um, as far as the leasing rules go, draft rules came out, I don't know, April, May of this year, we submitted comments, um, you know, with our thoughts on on the way those rules should develop. Um, and those are just still sitting in the in the pipeline. I would imagine they are also trying to get those done by the end of this administration. But, okay. um, you know, I, I think TBD on that. If Jenny has other secret insight that I don't know about. I don't I don't have secret insight, but I do have some. Um, one thing, one thing to keep in mind with the operating agreements is that those can look a lot of different ways. So, you know, when we think about federal waters, we are thinking about commercial leasing. That is the process that BOEM is undertaking. Um, and I think that if we, you know, what the operating agreement mechanism allows the state to do is quite flexible. So there's a possibility that they could announce a pilot project, one or two turbines that is, you know, intentionally there to collect data to see how turbines interact with our coast, with our workers, with our creatures. Um, 
So, you know, I think it's also something to keep in mind that this can be part of learning the information that we need. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really what I have been thinking about a lot is that the state really d can do a lot of different things with this. And there's just kind of no telling until we get more solid information. Okay. Well, that's fair. Um, one thing I, I'm also curious about here, and, and it, it seems like, you know, we kind of have an idea from at least the, the governor's administration, like they definitely are interested in, in bringing offshore wind to Louisiana, right? Um, but I also, I had a very interesting conversation uh, very recently with uh, one of the PSC commissioners, uh, Devante Lewis, who is, you know, probably the most friendly to renewables on the commission, but even he had some concerns about like costs and interconnection, right? So, I, what I'm trying to gauge here is what exact like, and it may be, may be hard to kind of quantify, but like, like, what is the appetite for offshore wind in Louisiana? Does it feel like this is something that, you know, the governor's office has decided that it's that's interested in, and then everybody else is just kind of like, oh, well, okay, I guess we can see if we can make this work, or is it? Does it feel like there's genuine interest on the ground in Louisiana? Like this would be like a useful, um, you know, form of of energy capacity that that could be like well utilized you know what i'm what i mean what i'm getting at here so like like what where are, where are we kind of on that that spectrum in terms of of appetite for for offshore wind in the state but i mean i i think the appetite's there um and it, there are a couple of examples i'll point to on this um one is that uh, we haven't just seen leadership from the governor's office on offshore wind we've really seen conservative legislators in the state um support offshore wind development um the whole reason that we're even pursuing development in state waters is because republican legislators um told the department of natural resources that they should develop rules for leasing in state waters and so um we have uh, some more you know elected official leadership that that isn't just coming from the governor's office. Um, and I think that bodes very well. Um, I think the public is really interested. I have some of my most interesting conversations about offshore wind with Uber drivers going back and forth to the airport in New Orleans. Um, just the level of enthusiasm when you mention to people that you work on offshore wind is really palpable. And it's it's very fun to to hear what people have to, to say. Um, I do think that the next step is figuring out this interconnection, yeah. you know, cost issue, right? And and that's I, I want to say that's like really normal, right? Like right. we're we're exactly in line with the the way this has played out in other states. So I don't I don't want to make it sound like Louisiana's got a unique problem here with figuring out interconnection or cost. This is this is how this has played out in most other places. It's one of the reasons that, you know, our organizations can bring some value to the table because we work in multiple states and we have seen how this can play out and have some lessons learned from that. Um, and so while I think Commissioner Lewis is totally right that there are definitely concerns about interconnection and cost, um, we can get there on figuring those things out. The other thing that that I'll add there is there's real business interest in the success of offshore wind in Louisiana. Um, and the, the two things I'll, I'll point to is um, Shell's big investment in the Gulf Wind Technologies facility at Avondale and really working on building that workforce. Um, Shell is a global corporation. They don't make foolhardy investments, right? Like they they see a real opportunity here. I think the other thing that, that is sort of the looming big question is the use of offshore wind to generate green hydrogen. Yeah. Um, that technology is obviously still very nascent, um, but there's a lot of interest in the Gulf um, in, in figuring that out. Um, and when you're in a state like Louisiana, where 60% of our emissions are coming from the industrial sector, um, those kind of opportunities 
if we're going to get to deep decarbonization, those sort of questions have to be on the table and we have to be figuring those out, which I think creates another viable path for, for offshore wind potentially. And I'll, um, I'll hop in here and, you know, you mentioned the problems with interconnection, the problems with um, integrating this. So let's, let's talk about, I guess, what those problems are. So Louisiana and particularly South Louisiana is part of a regional transmission organization called MISO. Um, and all of our electricity is managed by them. So, um, when electricity goes onto the grid, so if you have a wind turbine that is generating power, that electron goes onto the grid and the grid stabilizes itself. So you just have an electron on the grid. Um, the management of how those resources are generating and what is generating is all within the purview of the regional transmission organization. In Louisiana, we also have Intergy Louisiana and Intergy New Orleans who generate all of our electricity here. So they're also a key piece of this component. They right. do have a, um, Intergy Louisiana has a memorandum of understanding with RWE, who's the um, leaseholder in the Gulf. So right. I, expect we'll, I expect we'll hear more about this. Um, but taking a step back, one problem with the entire grid in the United States is just that it's outdated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this isn't necessarily specifically an offshore wind problem. All of our transmission infrastructure really needs to be upgraded in the next, I mean, ideally very soon, but in the next like 50 years, I want to say is kind of the, the timeline of we're going to be really in trouble if we don't get some of this fixed. So I think it's also important to think about, you know, this isn't just offshore wind. This is renewables in general. This is having more sources of generation on the grid. And it's complicated. It is. But we're going to have to solve it eventually. So we might as well do it now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, yeah, it, believe me, you go to any any conference where we're talking about uh, renewable energy or even just energy in general. And this is the, pretty much the number one talking point at this point, which it's funny how that has developed because I remember when we started NPM in 2019, you know, nobody's really that concerned about interconnection. It was just put as many projects on as possible. You know, we'd, you know, everybody's trying to, is trying to get their capacity numbers up, but obviously that's become like the number one, um, definitely the number one challenge. Right. So yeah, definitely not just uh specific to, to offshore wind in Louisiana. That's for sure. Um, but one thing that might be a little bit more specific to, to offshore wind in Louisiana and, and we've kind of, I think Helen, you, Helen Rose, you kind of talked about this a little bit and, and Jenny as well. Like there, we're obviously not going to see anywhere near the scale of, of offshore wind projects that we would see in, in like a federal lease. Right. And so given that there's, um, already activity in state waters as it is right and and we also have other industries that are interested in state waters like you know we mentioned hydrogen earlier um and you got to factor in these environmental assessments um do you think that competition for for just sites in general in state waters is going to become an issue for offshore wind where like there might not even be space for a, a project that that makes it like you know worthwhile for a developer to go in and actually like you know, put the project in if they're only going to have like, I don't know, five turbines or something, you know what I mean? Um, so like, do you think that that's going to be like a, a, a concern for, for development in this area? Um, I would say, so, you know, I, 
based on conversations that I have had with developers, you know, they are always trying to make the economics of these projects work. And yeah. often it's a very thin line. Um, and Ugh. one thing to think about with offshore wind as well is that almost all of your costs are upfront and they're high because you're paying for this equipment, you're paying for, you know, everything to get installed, you're paying for all of this stuff. And then once it's installed, it's installed, right? So it's also a bit of a different economic model than a lot of other sources of generation. Um, one thing that I think, particularly when we compare Louisiana to the Northeast, um, our, as Helen Rose mentioned, our governor, John Bell Edwards, set this five gigawatt goal for offshore yes. wind development. Um, and one thing that I spend a lot of time talking about is that that is an excellent goal, but it is unenforceable. Right. So if we look to states in the Northeast that have had these significant commitments and significant developments, not to say that there aren't issues with those, um, but they do have these enforceable state standards that the state has decided to advance. So, you know, thinking about the mechanisms available to the state is I also is important in this realm as well. Um, one other thing that is also just kind of nuanced about offshore wind is that most of these agreements are negotiated in public in a way that other industries don't do that, right? So you have all of this public information, which is phenomenal, but it does give you a lot of things to pick apart, right? Yeah. So it's great that we have all this data and that we can kind of see where the market is going as this industry develops. And I think, I think Louisiana has good timing as far as when they're pursuing this. Okay, cool. Um, well, I, you know, I think we've kind of address, I guess, like a lot of the the key issues here, it comes to space when it comes to interest, when it comes to, you know, the the state policies and, and kind of where we are in the, in the timeline here. And it sounds like we are on the on, kind of on the cusp of, of some big announcements, if, if indeed, they're going to try to to get something on the books before, uh, you know, the end of, of Governor Bell Edwards term. So um, I guess as we kind of approach get closer to this and, and we, we are kind of waiting on on the state policies to be finalized. And, and you know, we, we kind of come closer to, to these developments. Um, as we kind of wind down here, I guess what I want to get from both of you is, is just kind of a glimpse of, of, of what you would like to see from, from the state as, as we continue to, to move closer to this. Why don't we start with, with Helen Rose and then we can, we can end with you, Jenny. Yeah, I, I can think of two things that, that would be my, um, on my wish list. Um, the first is of course, uh, working on, um, continuing to develop a process uh, for leasing in state waters that better reflects the opportunity that smart siting can present. Um, so just really trying to front load some of that um, environmental analysis um, about where we're putting projects. I think ultimately this is going to be good for developers. It gives them greater certainty. None right. of us want to have to sue a renewable energy product, but our project, but you know, if we're looking at endangered species impacts or marine mammal impacts that just like aren't, um, aren't okay, then that's where we're going to end up. And, and I just, you know, 
would really like to avoid that. And I think we can if we do some smarter planning. I think the other thing I really want the state to think about is I know that people really feel like the state water's opportunity is is part of the, the supply chain opportunity. And it it undoubtedly is. But I, I just, you know, we've got a bunch of projects that'll be going to construction on the East Coast in the next year and two years. And we don't have the supply chain for those projects yet either. And so I think Louisiana would really benefit from focusing on the ways that we can be an industry support nationally. Um, and so how do we really look at those projects and, and develop our supply chain and our companies and our workers um, to be ready to start working on those projects immediately? Because that's going to happen a lot faster than even the state waters development can. Right. And the scale is bigger. And so I hope that that we see a turn towards taking advantage of that opportunity. Okay. And Jenny, what about you? So as far as as far as my dreams go, I'll I'll echo what Helen Rose said about kind of taking advantage of this national industry that's developing. And I will say specifically with RWE, who's our Gulf lessee, they are the only tri-coastal leaseholder. Um, right. And they have put a lot of work into the supply chain in Louisiana. So I think that that is a huge opportunity for us. And again, I think, you know, while things are developing and while we're building up our capacity in the Gulf, like we should be taking advantage of this opportunity. You know, we supplied the rest of the U.S. with oil and gas. Like, let's make it the same with offshore wind. Um, I think another opportunity for the state here is that Louisiana really is in a position to be a leader with this and to stand for the right things. Um, we're in a position where, you know, we know what we don't know and we know what we would like to see and we can connect those dots. Like we can see how to get there. And so I think for the way that me and Helen Rose are thinking about this, we want to make sure that, you know, as these things develop, that the state is doing the best possible thing it can at any given time. And I think so far, um, you know, again, sometimes these are tough conversations, but I think they're really putting in the work to figure out what they need to know. And I think that's, you know, the right way to do things. And I think Louisiana has a lot of experience with our coast and how we need to interact with it. And, um, I'm glad that we're taking advantage of that. Yeah. I mean, what, regardless of whether, uh, you know, how actually well suited it is, you know, uh, you know, on the ground level to, to this development, I think what's really interesting here and why I think I'm so interested in this story. And, and I thank you both for, for being with me today it, to talk about it is just that it, it, you know, it's something that we're not really seeing anywhere else. Right. Like this is, this is a, you know, we, we mentioned it earlier, Louisiana is kind of an uncharted territory here. So, you know, seeing them grapple with this and seeing them develop these policies and, 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 you know, kind of start the the ball rolling on, on, uh, offshore wind developments in state waters is just a really interesting process to, to kind of behold. So, uh, again, I appreciate both of you, uh, for joining me today to talk about this. And it's definitely something that we'll be keeping an eye on in the future, particularly, you know, hopefully the near term as, uh, um, you know, Bellowards, uh, uh, governorship kind of rolls or this term anyway rolls to an end so uh again thank you both and uh, let's stay in touch as as these things continue to develop absolutely absolutely thank you so much for having us having thank you, you. Thank you.